From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Welcome once again to Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages from the ministry of Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. On today's broadcast, Dr. Cairns will continue this series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, and verse 22. Have faith in God. Faith is the foot of the soul by which it can march along the road of the commandments. Love can make the feet move more swiftly, but faith is the foot which carries the soul. Faith is the oil enabling the wheels of holy devotion and of earnest piety to move well. Without faith, the wheels are taken from the chariot, and we drag heavily. With faith I can do all things. Without faith I shall have neither the inclination nor the power to do anything in the service of God. If you would find the men who serve God the best, you must look for the men of the most faith. Little faith will save a man, but little faith cannot do great things for God. Poor little faith could not have fought Apollyon. It needed Christian to do that. Poor little faith could not have slain giant despair. It required great hearts armed to knock that monster down. Little faith will go to heaven most certainly, but it often has to hide itself in a nutshell, and it frequently loses all but its jewels. Little faith says, It is a rough road, beset with sharp thorns and full of dangers. I am afraid to go. But great faith remembers the promise, Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. And so she boldly ventures. Little faith stands desponding, mingling her tears with the flood. But great faith sings, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And she fords the stream at once. Would you be comfortable and happy? Would you enjoy religion? Would you have the religion of cheerfulness and not that of gloom? Then... Have faith in God. If you love darkness and are satisfied to dwell in gloom and misery, then be content with little faith. But if you love the sunshine and would sing songs of rejoicing, covet earnestly this best gift, great faith.
In these troublesome times for our nation, many people are looking to the government or to social action for a solution. But the only real answer to the human predicament is a true spiritual revival. Many Christians have no idea of what constitutes revival in the scriptural sense. Certainly the greatest revival in the history of the Christian church took place on the day of Pentecost. Down through the centuries there have been remarkable visitations of God during which thousands were gloriously saved. Times such as the Protestant Reformation, the revivals in England under John Wesley and George Whitfield, the Great Awakening in America associated with Jonathan Edwards were times of genuine spiritual revival. The common factor in all of these events was an undeniable demonstration of the power of God rather than the ingenuity of man. In the early 1950s, such a revival occurred on the Isle of Lewis, one of the Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. In the course of several years, hundreds of people were converted to Christ, and many churches were built to take care of them. Again, the Holy Spirit of God came down in power. The preacher during those days was the Reverend Duncan Campbell. Yet what took place on Lewis was not due to his pulpit skills, but to the overwhelming moving of God among the people. Strong men, hardened sinners who mocked the preacher, were suddenly struck to their knees by the roadside under conviction of sin. Young people in a local dance hall left their frivolity and ran to the churches, crying for mercy upon their souls. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to make available CD copies of both Duncan Campbell's account of what happened during those revival times on Lewis, as well as a CD containing personal testimonies of people who came to salvation in Jesus Christ during those revival times. The CDs are available to you free of charge, simply by requesting your copies. You may write us at LTBS 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's LTBS 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. Or you may telephone us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. Just request your copies of the CDs of the Revival on the Isle of Lewis. You will be blessed greatly as you listen to these accounts of the power of God at work. On today's edition of Let the Bible Speak, 
Dr. Cairns will conclude this study of Christ's transfiguration under the title, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. The transfiguration showed Christ's resolve to suffer the shame and agony of the cross and that it would be a finished work. It showed Christ's preeminence. The Father said, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. The glory of Christ's people is what they have in union with Christ. By being transfigured before them, Christ was encouraging His disciples that His sufferings would lead to glory. He knew the sorrow His death would cause them, so He was preparing them by showing them the end of the story. Of course, at the time of His death, they forgot, and only a sight of Him in His resurrected body renewed their vision. In the same way, the vision of Christ's victory will prepare us for the dark days ahead. It is a sight of the crucified, buried, and risen Christ that will give us what we need to finish well. Now Dr. Cairns brings the conclusion of A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. This view on the Mount of Transfiguration was a view of what His glory will be as the Mediator exalted to the right hand of God, the glory of His face, His personal holiness the glory of his, right, of his raiment, his glorious righteousness, the glory of his people who appear with him in glory. Now when we catch that, we can understand Peter saying it's good for us to be here. Let's remain here forever. They couldn't then. But bless God, there's a day coming when we will see him and we will be with him forever. That's why it was given. And of course, finally, it was given to assure the disciples. So said they couldn't understand the suffering, the death, and they had no idea what this resurrection meant. I want us to get a very simple lesson here. The Lord Jesus gave them this in advance to ward off their disappointment, to save them from the disillusionment so that they wouldn't plumb the depths of the depression that they felt as they stood at the cross. He gave them this sight of the glory in order that they would have something to hold on to in the darkest hour. Do you know what the tragedy is? They had all this, and they forgot it. At least they forgot it to the extent that when they stood at the cross, it didn't do them that much good. Is there any evidence that standing there, James and John, and away in the outskirts of the crowd, Peter, who said he was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ, a cowering figure who had denied his Lord, who had backslidden, fearful of the taunting words of a slip of a girl, is there any evidence that those men standing there looking in the awful scene at Calvary, had one thought of the Mount of Transfiguration, one thought of the glory that had been seen, that they had seen? Is there the slightest idea given in Scripture that these men benefited from what the Lord had given them? Not at all. I want you to think of this. I don't want to equate things that are not equal at all. We will never, no matter what we go through in this life, we will never have an experience like having to stand at the cross. But we are going to go through dark days. 
We are going to go through them. We have the dark day of apostasy where we see Christ put to an open shame even by those who name his name. We have the dark days of the complete disemboweling of what was once a Christian society to now make it a foul and filthy thing. That's what we have got to. I detest Muslim terrorism with all my heart, and I would make no excuse for it whatsoever. But I would say this, it is an indication of how absolutely hellish this society has got when a heathen religion can make as its excuse for its actions the decadent morals that America is pouring like a sewer pipe into the world. And why we reject the religion that makes the accusation and we oppose the terrorism that it spawns, let us not fool ourselves that there's an awful lot of truth in the criticism. We have seen this society disemboweled of everything decent, and it's as rotten and filthy and ripe for the judgment of a holy God as any society since Sodom has ever been. As Christians, we see that, and we say it's a dark day. And then we have the dark days of our own lives. We have people in this church at the moment who are fighting for life. And for them, it's a dark day. Every one of us, if we live long enough, are going to face sickness and suffering and loneliness and death. Don't hide behind your youth. For I've seen young people in this place of affliction right beside the old. Don't blind yourself and say it will never happen to me. For man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We are going to face dark days. The Lord Jesus has given to us what he gave to his disciples. He has given us a preview of his glory. He has emphasized his victory. He has shown us his exaltation. Paul says, let me quote him again, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We have seen the end of the story. We have understood from his word and by the witness of his spirit the end of the story. Let us therefore learn the lesson and not repeat the error of Christ's disciples. We have a glorious Savior. Let us bow to him, follow him, serve him. And even though we suffer, let us remember we will reign with him in glory, because he reigns in glory. Remember what I said from Hebrews 12, 2, the sight of the glory in Mount Hermon strengthened the body and soul of the Lord Jesus Christ for the sufferings to come. It was because of the joy that was set before him. It was an account of seeing the glory, the end, the exaltation, the reward. It was because of the glory that was set before him that he endured the cross and had strength to despise the shame. 
That's how we also will get the strength to endure. In a day of apostasy, how are we going to stay right? By getting a sight of Christ. In a day of the disintegration of society and the morals that held this society together, how are we going to stay upright? By a sight of Christ. In a day of personal suffering, physical agony, mental depression, loneliness, struggling with death, working in our members, how will we remain faithful? Through a sight of Christ. As we leave this morning, I want you to take with you the exhortation of Hebrews 12, those first three verses. Seeing we are a compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Well, it's so easy to say that. But what are the weights you're carrying with you? What are the buckets of worldliness that you're trying to carry with you as you're seeking to run the race of life? What are the weights? You can't run while you're carrying weights. You lay us. Did you ever see an Olympic sprinter walk to the line with a bucket of water in each hand? Did you ever see him even bring a little training weight with him? Never. I never forget a Scottish swimmer swimming in the Olympic Games in the semi-final. He, he made himself ready and right to win that heat. But he kept one thing back. Because he knew if he was going to win because of an Australian opponent, it would be by a hundredth of a second. They were so close. So between the final and the semi-final and the final, he took a razor. And uh, he was a very fair-haired fellow. And so there was a little fuzz in the arm, a little fuzz in the body. And it was all shaved off that there was not left a single hair to drag him back in the water. And that's what made the difference. He did win, literally, by a hair's breadth. Lay aside every wit. Every wit and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The idea there, remember that in the East they wore long robes. The idea there is of anything that would get between your legs and trip you up. Anything that would make it easy to stumble. Get rid of it. Don't toy with it. Don't play with it. Don't put up with it. Don't come to terms with it. If you're serious about going on with God, lay aside every wit and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. With patience. The idea of patience in the New Testament, the word simply means endurance. The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon. I always remember my old English Bible teacher, J. Kyle Paisley, telling me, and I had to get it because I was his only student at the time, and he used to say, young man, remember, it's not how you start out the race that counts, it's how you finish. That's what counts. It's a marathon. We don't like to think of that. 
some of us take a step. My, what we have done. I was in a prayer meeting last week. Let the bells of heaven ring. I read my New Testament last year. Let God jump for joy. We take a step. But this is a marathon. Run with endurance. How do you run with endurance? Looking off unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down in the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. How are you going to get the endurance? Catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ. We have a Savior who lived and earned heaven. We have a Savior who died and put away every obstacle to our entering into heaven, removing sin and satisfying the wrath of God against it. We have a Savior who rose from the dead and is set down at the right hand of the majesty and high. Look unto him. Look to him if you want to be saved. Want you to understand this? If you want to be saved, look to him. That's how Spurgeon was saved. He heard the message, look unto me. If you're saved, you want strength to endure, look unto him. If you're going through darkness and even facing death, look unto him. May the Lord indeed be pleased to give us a glimpse of the glory of of Christ. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at one 864 244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we let the Bible speak. (music) 